Welcome to the Mum Safe Movement podcast. I'm your host, Jen Dugard. I'm so excited that you're here and now part of this very important movement for change in the way mums are looked after in the fitness industry. In 2020, 4.35 million women used our gyms and fitness facilities in comparison to 3.5 million men. Further to this, in 2016, the ABS reported that 77% of women over the age of 15 in Australia would become mothers. This is 3.35 million mothers or 42.7% of a personal trainer's potential clientele. Yet our fitness certificates don't teach us enough and mums themselves receive very little, if any, education about how to move safely and effectively. I am here to change that. This podcast is an accumulation of over 16 years in the fitness industry, a decade working face-to-face with mums themselves and teaching thousands of trainers in my Safe Return to Exercise certification. And most recently, bringing mums and trainers together around the MumSafe brand. This podcast is the next step into raising our voices and bringing mums and the trainers that work with them into the arena to achieve our mission of safe and effective exercise for women at every stage of motherhood. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Mum Save Movement podcast. I'm your host, Jen Dugard, and today we are talking to Amy Dawes. Amy is the co-founder and CEO of the Australasian Birth Trauma Association, a for-purpose driven organization helping to prevent, diagnose, and treat birth-related trauma. Amy launched the ABTA in 2017 after her own experience with birth trauma. A firm believer in collaboration, Amy has worked with parents and a wide range of health professionals involved in the care of birthing families to increase community understanding of birth-related trauma, to provide support and education conduct research and be an advocate for change. If you're listening in real time, this week is Birth Trauma Awareness Week and I wanted to bring this conversation to you not only to highlight the amazing work of Amy and the ABTA but also to ensure that women who've suffered birth trauma can get the support that they need and the exercise professionals that choose to work with mums have more of an awareness of what birth trauma is and the absolutely vital role they can play in supporting them through asking the right questions and ultimately referring on. Amy and I met a number of years now and I love the tireless work that she's doing in this space and believe it's only a natural synergy for the work of MumSafe to be supporting the work of the Australasian Birth Trauma Association. Amy, welcome to the Mum Safe Movement podcast. I'm very excited that you're here. Thanks for having me, Jen. I'm pretty bloody excited to be here too. So let's get straight stuck into the way that we always start the podcast, which is a word to describe how you're showing up. And if it's been a shit show of a morning, that is fine. A win and something that you're working on. I actually would say this morning I've had some really, really good conversations even prior to our chat. And so the word I'm feeling at the moment is excited. Um, uh, And I'm excited to have this chat with you because I do think it's really important. Uh, The win at the moment is we're just coming into Birth Trauma Awareness Mm. Week and we're already getting some good media. And I think uh, there'll be a feature on the project on Sunday. So that's huge for us. And then working on uh we'll talk more I think about this but my understanding is there's not a single profession that works with birthing parents that has any kind of specialist training in relation to birth related trauma and so we are going to fill in that gap of needs and we're currently working on a project to develop professional training for professionals. Fantastic what kind of professionals will that be for? For anybody that works with birthing parents, so um, we're keeping the content broad. Mm -hmm. Um, Primarily, I would say midwives. That's the the biggest area of interest that um, when we've been taking people, um, they're registering their interest. Predominantly, we're seeing midwives, but we're also seeing mental health clinicians. We're seeing, you know, sonographers, doctors, anyone really needs to needs to know. Um, and understand the impacts of birth-related trauma and how prevalent it is and what can be done to prevent it and what we can do to better support people that are impacted by it as well. 
Fantastic. And we're definitely going to cover a lot of those. Yep. There are a lot of my questions, but we yep. might just put a note in there that we will put the link. Can we put the link to express interest in the show? Oh, notes? yes. Yeah, yeah, because absolutely. I, I think exercise professionals are going to be on that list as well. Yeah. yeah. So, Amy, so we can gain some context. Can you tell us um, who is the Australasian Birth Trauma Association? What do mm. you do? Yeah, what do we do? So we are a small charity with big ambitions for safer births and better healing. So we are a peer-led community dedicated to the prevention, treatment and support for the people that are impacted by birth-related trauma. And you're based in the Sunshine Coast? Yeah, I'm based in the Sunshine Coast, Coast but we are a national organisation. Okay. And how mm. many, I know we were just talking ahead of time that you have a team of volunteers working with you, although they mm. all have full-time jobs and, and all the rest as well. What's what's the size of the team and what kind of workload does that leave you with? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jen. Okay. So it was funny because um, at the start of 2022, we were a core team of four. I call them my core team. They're mm. like my wing women. Um, and at the end of 22, I, 20, 2022, I was like, yes, we're ending the year with 16 volunteers. And those are volunteers that help in general day to day, um, the running of the organization. So we have, you know, somebody that supports us with finance, somebody that sort of supports us with analytics, um, website support, because we're prim primarily an information based organization. Then we have, you know, advocacy, we have peer support workers that provide that direct support to people that are, are experiencing birth-related trauma. And then, of course, we've got our board and advisory panel as well. So at any one time, we have about 25 volunteers within the organization. But if we translate that into um, time spent in the operation side of the business, it's actually quite a, a few hours. So mm -hmm. we worked it out recently and um, we have two full-time members of staff and I'm one of them basically. And so it's uh, it can be a bit of a challenge because there's such a need for what we do. Like prior to us um, existing um, and, and forming and, and we launched in 2017, nobody was really talking about birth-related trauma mm -hmm. and that's both psychological and physical. So um, there wasn't really a dedicated place for people to seek support. And even still to this day, how you get support and access to support, it's quite luck of the draw. Yeah. And, and give us a little bit of it. I, I want to have this conversation because mm. I think that People from the outside looking into businesses, charities often don't realize that they're a, a, a one woman show, like, mm. or a, a very, very small team because we do such a great job of going, hey, look at my shiny website and all of those things. So, mm. um, where does your like financial support come from? Mm. I just have to make a side note about the shiny website because one of my volunteers that she she's actually a mum of four works in the not-for-profit space and then volunteers wow. for us and she's a comms expert right and she joined us in January 2018 and um and she just made our stuff look absolutely outstanding and I even just think where she leveled up what we were putting out looked like we we're like a really um well-operated organization but we literally survive I think what's the Australian expression the smell of an oily rag mm -hmm. when somebody told me that expression I was just like yep that's us um so we we basically survive off donations and um fundraisers from the community um I did say for a period of time that I'm kind of the queen at getting those small sort of ten thousand dollar grants here and there and that ensures that all the peer support that we provide to the community is free um, uh, but yeah, you, it's very difficult to get funding for operations. So, uh, yeah, it, it's just, it's an, it's an ongoing challenge and yeah, that's a battle. So when you said about the word, it was like, oh, I'm excited, but also very tired. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if there was someone listening now, Amy, you never know mm -hmm. who, who, mm -hmm. uh, who could be listening. Like what, mm -hmm. what would your ideal ask be? Um, help us reach more people and help us do what we really could be doing and so what I mean by that is very early on because I wanted to just start connecting with people quickly for me based on my own experience and how um, when I first discovered my birth related trauma which is physical I thought I was the only one and part of feeling like you're the only one when you're experiencing it is incredibly 
um, isolating. I felt a lot of shame around my experience. And interestingly, Panda um, have released, they released a study a couple of months ago about shame being a contributor to um, perinatal suicidality, which is a big topic that I'm going Huge. left of field here, right? Um, but it's important to talk about this because I am contacted every day or very often by women that say that we have saved their lives because mm. we have given them information and resources where they thought, well, I must be the only one because no one was talking about it. So what we do as an organization is we amplify the voices of our community. And not only do we amplify their voices and share stories with the hope to make change, but the other thing is, is because we hear these stories, it informs all of the work that we put out, the resources that we create, the support services that we create, but we could be doing so much more. Mm -hmm. um, as I previously mentioned, we are currently developing our training for people working with birthing families. And that training is consumer led, but delivered by experts. When I peel off layers and contributing factors to birth related trauma, there's just another one there and it's so big but there is it, it can be prevented not always and it's really important to acknowledge that it's not always preventable but there is so much more that we could do to help parents as they transition into parenthood and go through the process of a most vulnerable period of their of their life um but yeah we we do what we do with such limited resourcing we could do so much more if we had some 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 of that core funding so yeah. so we had regular regular uh, you know permanent staff you've got or one, paid staff yeah yeah and you've got one regular donator is that right that's right. yeah yeah so very early on I was lucky it's a complete luck um, I was in a um, Facebook support support group a kind of a support group yeah. for mums it is support right <laughs> it's so support <laughs> yeah 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 and um and I would talk about what we were doing and then I just had another mum say oh I'd love to meet you for a coffee coffee I think we can help and she um she worked at a law firm but they also ran another not-for-profit called the Brain Injury Foundation. And I guess they could see synergy in our work. And they basically said, if we could fund any role, what role would you like to be funded? And because we're voluntary led and we provide peer support, I thought we're going to have lots of volunteers. So let's pay for a volunteer manager. And so they started supporting us um, way back in 2018. And that is the one funder that has just consistently supported us through this time on top of that we started an annual fundraiser in 2020 originally it was called the walk and support and then we've just rebranded and we're calling that the big step challenge now which is stepping forward for safer births and better healing and that's a big sort of event in our calendar but there are so many um, amazing charities doing amazing events that there's a lot of noise out there so we we need to look at other ways that um, that we can hopefully get the support that we desperately need. Are you allowed to share who your key supporter is? Are you allowed to share their yeah yeah I yeah. mean McInnes Wilson law firm yeah. yeah yeah they've they've yeah been there yeah. From the start. I guess yeah. the, the conversation I want to have right now is like, yeah, we are or we're having, but the exposure is if you are someone listening and you mm. are in a position, whether you're, you know, you are employed by a law firm, whether your husband is or your partner is like, this is a conversation that you can get in contact with Amy and have around the potential to offer either one-off or ongoing support. Um, yeah, to amazing. help them with birth trauma. So yeah. Anyway, let's just and, put that and, out there. Yeah, I, no, I, I really appreciate that, and I think you know it's interesting that you said to help women as well because um, if we because what we haven't sort of said is I guess like, we're going to get there, right? Yeah, we're, we're okay. We're going to get there, but um, it's 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 huge but let's okay yeah. let's let's <laughs> yeah I digress but I was like that is such an important conversation because people just don't realize how many hours you're working on such little um and not nine times out of ten not getting paid for that so mm. and it's not mm. a sob story and it's you know you're a woman on a mission to get really cool stuff done in the world mm. and if people can help and this resonates with them well why wouldn't they 
So, yeah, but even if yeah. it's pro bono support as well or expertise support, like we can always do with more hands on deck. Like the, one of the biggest gaps um, in this space and maybe why we've struggled to get big funding is there's such a lack of research in this space. Mm. And I have I've, I've learned so much. It's been such an incredibly steep learning curve for me. And I have so many a hypothesis. I'm like, do I need to do I need to start doing research? But it'd be you <laughs> I know, hear we, you. I have those yeah, thoughts all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right. It's, it's, women's health is so under-researched. And, um, and you know, there's, there's things like that um, where I, I, I see maybe that's a direction that we need yeah. to move in as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's flip all the way around. Like you, you yeah. started this charity in 2017. I remember, I was thinking I was sitting in my car when we first connected and had this huge conversation and we've like floated around each other and, and intended to do and then done and then not done and all these things. And we're excited to be supporting the Big Step Challenge. And again, we'll get to that later on. But why did you even start the charity in the first place? Like tell us, a, you know, the five to seven minute snapshot of your journey. Yeah. Um, the biggest thing was, you know, I was pregnant with my first child way back in 2013 and like so many mums I thought that if I do all the right things I'll get the birth that I wanted which was a, a drug-free water birth um, at the time I when I found out I was pregnant I was training to do a fitness comp intending to stand on the stage like an oompa loompa um, and, um, and I, so I was the fittest I've ever been. I continued training throughout the pregnancy, although back in 2013, no one knew what kind of training I could do. Like I can't, it's just wild when you think it's only like less than 10 years ago and how far we've grown, but that's probably later in the conversation. But, um, uh, yeah, so I did, um, pregnancy yoga, started meditating because I'm a massive stress head. And then I did a private birthing course and I thought I'll just breathe the baby out. And <laughs> <Didn't> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so she didn't get the memo. And um, long story short, I ended up having a forceps delivery and sustained a third degree tear. Um, significant bleed, very scary experience. But when I was in recovery, everybody kept telling me, well, you got the birth that you wanted. And I, you know, first time mum, you don't know what's normal and what's not. And even though I couldn't get out of bed for the first five days, and I was sort of wheeled outside in a wheelchair on day six to get some fresh air, I didn't know that I wasn't okay. And I just thought things would improve. Um, initially, I suffered with fecal incontinence, but was very fortunate to be suggested that I should go and see a women's health physio I'd never heard of them before uh, somebody suggested that to me so she kind of helped rehabilitate me and I just thought things would get better but I had to take it easy moving back into exercise because that was the biggest question like when can I exercise like I used to um, and then I was 16 months postpartum and I did my first run um, ironically a mindful triathlon so you know a 5k run <laughs> 90 minutes yoga and a 15 minute meditation. And then I felt this like heavy dragging sensation in my vagina, which I now know to be a prolapse. Um, I literally can't walk past the toilet in South Bank and not think of that horrible day of when that actually happened. Um, I, so I booked an appointment with a physio, went to see a physio, she palpated, um, you know, like did an internal palpation and she identified or uh, diagnosed me with having a, a bilateral levator revulsion which is quite significant pelvic floor muscle damage and I went into that appointment a 35 year old woman and I walked out of that appointment like I thought I was like an 85 year old woman I was told that I would need a device to support my organs inside of my body I was told I shouldn't lift up my daughter and like I said she was only 16 months old and of course I dutifully um uh, like stopped and um, I was told I couldn't exercise like I used to so unsurprisingly hearing all of those things my quality of life and my life as I imagined felt completely ripped away and my mental health just took a, a downfall and I became very mentally unwell mm. um, but um, I got good psychological support and as I began to kind of get to a place of feeling better I started to research and started to talk to people. And then I discovered how prevalent birth injuries are, and particularly prolapse, which isn't necessarily a birth injury, can obviously occur outside of childbirth, but childbirth, I think, is one of the biggest contributing factors. And I just thought, well, why aren't we talking about it? 
And um, so thus my career of talking about my vagina for a living was born. And, um, and it, it was through the research that I stumbled across the work of my co-founder, um, Dr. Liz Skinner, who was doing groundbreaking research at the time, because as I've already said, there's very little research in this space. Um, and her research was about the psychological consequences of physical trauma. And I just reached out to her and I was like, what can I do to help? And she said, I wish there was a birth trauma association in Australia. And I said, let me make that happen. And I basically have not stopped since. Hmm. And I tried to just summarize that really quickly. I know I spoke really fast, but it's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. And the first thing I, I would like to backtrack on is a bilateral avulsion, mm. because there mm. will be people listening that don't understand what that is. Mm. Would mm. you like to explain? Yeah, I, I guess I want to preface this, and I'm sure you would have already said this, but um, content warning, because it can be difficult and quite confronting to hear of these kind of injuries, especially when we don't, it's not publicly acknowledged, acknowledged at this time. I think also while you're saying that, Amy, is, and I have this awareness all the time, because I do teach people about the consequent or the potential consequences of birth mm. none of this information is designed to scare anybody mm. it's designed actually to empower you through education mm. so and also there's there should never be or we hope there has never be a never a level of shame when somebody um especially trainers because trainers are going to be listening to this of going oh what if i've done things with my client that could have caused you know, not going to cause an avulsion, but, you know, contributed towards prolapse or weakened pelvic floor or things like that. And it's really important that we all just pause and go, we do the best we can with the information that we have at that time. It's nobody's fault as to what we don't know. But the reason we're having these conversations is to raise awareness and empower people to understand what may have already happened to them or to be able to support other people in their journey. So, mm. yeah. yeah. I think that's really powerful. I mean, it is just the saying is knowledge is power. And for me, I guess I, I, I trained as a personal trainer. And um, when I found out how crucial the pelvic floor is to function, I was like, hang on a minute. Why did we not talk about that at all in my education in, in becoming because, a personal trainer? Because men don't have the same problem, Amy. Exactly. Because, we're, <laughs> because women are a special interest group. They're only 50% of the population. But don't worry about that. Um, yeah. So I do think it's knowledge is power. And, and, um, and yeah, so so in terms of an avulsion and what it means, firstly, it sounds utterly terrifying when you've had your pelvic floor ripped off the bone. Um, really, in, like um, a common injury for people that have had a forceps delivery, that's my mm -hmm. understanding. Um, but it can occur in a uncomplicated vaginal delivery and also with a vacuum delivery as well. So it's really important to be informed that these injuries can occur. Um, and like you say, it's not about scaring people. Uh, but it's actually empowering because there's plenty of people that would know that these things can happen, still want to go through a vaginal birth process. But when maybe they end up with this result, are they going to be as mentally unwell as someone that is just completely blindsided by their injuries? Like, of course not. So mm -hmm. in terms of what what it does mean is that basically and I'm obviously not a physio or a medical professional in any way, shape or form. Um, but we have our pelvic floor and that pelvic floor holds in our organs, our um, bladder, uterus, bowel. Um, yeah. And um, and so when you have a baby through the birth canal, it has to stretch to three times its size. There is no other muscle on the body that that does that. And it is crazy because I love your content, Jen. And, you know, you were talking about we rehab um, an ACL, but it's okay, you've been through, you've actually brought new life into the world, but don't worry about that. Let's mm -hmm. just pretend that after six weeks, it's magically okay. Like it's just wild. Um, and so you can end up with, you know, um, dysfunction with the pelvic floor without having a tear. In my case, um, it's come off both sides of the muscle. And at this stage, there is no surgery that can reattach muscle to bone um, in the pelvic floor, uh, at the pelvic floor. Um, and so uh, you can see why it felt like a bit of a, a life sentence. Subsequently, I have opted for conservative management and I, um, I lift weights twice, three times a week. 
I hike for hours and have no symptoms. I actually live a really active lifestyle now um, because I, at some, I, I actually, at one of the women health and fitness summits that I attended, I heard two physios say, you should never say to a woman, you can't do this. You say to women, what do you want to do? And how can we get you doing those things again? And it was just a like, bing, light bulb moment. It stopped me being scared of exercise and taught me how to um, exercise effectively. And, and it's something that I've heard you say, Jen, is about rehabbing from the inside out. Just don't think we talk about that enough. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why I'm such a fan of your work as well. Thank you. What can um, what does conservative um, management look like for you? Yeah. So um, initially I had two physios. So I have one physio, uh, women's health, both pelvic health physios, one that fits pessaries. And so um, I did basically for six years just wear a pessary every day. And a pessary is a device that you insert inside the vagina and it basically supports your organs. And that can be really confronting, right? Because mm -hmm. you don't know that you can have a baby and then suddenly you need a device to hold your organs inside your body. Like it's just, again, it's a bit um, mind boggling that we don't talk about this. Um, and so I also had a physio that was um, more sports focused, but still a pelvic health physio. And she sort of talked, you know, got me learning about engaging the body. I mean, also, at the grand age of 35 or 36, learning how to have an effective bowel motion and, you know, all of these little tips, how to engage. Because, I mean, again, before you have a baby, your pelvic floor is a, uh, it just does its thing. Just you works. don't need to think about it, it just works. And then post having a baby, you have to learn how to re-engage it again until it becomes like, uh, automatic. It, just automatic thank yeah. you can't find the words um I get why are we not talking about this it's just so uh, it could change someone's life and that you know as you know that's why we advocate so heavily for women to have access to pelvic health physiotherapy free in the postnatal period because regardless of birth you would benefit from having at least one session yeah and if we take that that step forward further is what about the women that could have a pelvic health physiotherapist appointment in pregnancy that could potentially make all the difference in their birthing experience because what I'm hearing from you is that you are in the fittest uh, stage of your life which means you are exercising a lot which means you are doing a lot of this like so tightening tightening up and the key thing that we forget when we teach all women to do or all pregnant women to do pelvic floor exercises hey how about you learn how to relax that muscle as well and there is no research behind this but I stand by it until there's research to suggest otherwise that if that mm. pelvic floor cannot relax in pregnancy her baby is not coming out easily oh well you know we talked about research I think that this is a, a, an area and it's very difficult because you wouldn't get ethics. Um, so one of the campaigns that we did back in, again in 2020 is we, um, we, want, we called for Medicare subsidized access to pelvic health physiotherapy in the perinatal period, so pregnancy mm -hmm. and beyond. So at least one session in, antenatally and up to five sessions postnatally. Um, it's really difficult to do um, in pregnancy. So it's almost it's a conversation you want to have prior to having a baby the other thing is is I do think pelvic health physios have a place to be as commonly associated with birth as midwives and doctors yes because they can talk about what the body does and um and the, that what you said about like most professionals will say do your pelvic floor exercises that's great most people don't do them correctly we know that statistically the other thing is is um if you're already you've already got a tight pelvic floor because you do so much exercise and then you do more exercise well then how are we going to relax to allow that baby mm. out and it cannot be a coincidence that we have so many sporting women in our cohort and last year we released um, our birth injuries report which was again the first report of its kind we had over 400 australians um talk about the impact that their birth injuries had on their lives. One of the things was their ability to exercise and it came through again and again. I was a professional runner. I was a professional horse rider. I was, you know, it, it cannot be a coincidence and no one's really looking into it. So where yeah. did you get to with the, um, the lobbying for the pelvic floor support or the women's health physio support where where is that what's the status of that campaign 
Uh, we basically had a meeting with the Department of Health at the end of last year, and she came with all the things that Medicare do subsidise, and it's kind of, that's where it is. Um, we are working with the Australian Physiotherapy Association to kind of get some stats, um, because the, the, the complicated thing is, again, when you're under-resourced, is we need to demonstrate what cost that is going to save in a woman's life cycle. We know that it is. Incontinence is the number one thing that makes, uh, that puts elderly into a, into a care home. Mm -hmm. Right? Okay, so what continence is, um, you can get support for that. It's important to know that, right? But lots of people suffer in silence. Um, the impact of prolapse it, you know, it, I think the perception is that it just happens it, or for a long time. It was just happens to old people. And even the, the obstetrician that delivered my first daughter, when I told him my physio had recommended a um, pessary, he said they're just for old women that don't have sex. And yet my pessary literally changed my life. I was able to lift her. I was able to feel um, not as panicky if I did some exercise. It, it changed my life. And even the other day, I was speaking at a conference um, for sonographers and um, I listened. I had to look at all the different prolapses on the screen. Right. And it's confronting. Google's not your friend. If you ever get a prolapse diagnosis, Google is not your friend. Um, and and. You know, I'm looking at these quite significant prolapses on the screen and I'm just like, how have we normalized this mm. for so long? Because the impact psychologically of not having your organs sit where they're supposed to is huge. Um, so what does that ripple out into? That ripples out into how we parent. It ripples out into our relationships, how our ability to return to work or continue raising families. Like it's just, it's so far reaching, but we don't have the data. So we are working with the uh, APA. Yeah. And, um, yeah. It makes me think about further linking to the mental health aspect. I was at um, in a conference yesterday and it was talking about depression is going to cost us um, $6 billion globally by 2030. And it's like, if there's research in that, how can we then link the, what we've, what we know about um, mental health associated with birth trauma to the costs that it's, you know, the, the global cost and then start to go, but if this many people didn't have, birth trauma or you know pelvic floor related stuff going on that was impacting their mental health well then can we put it into monetary terms that way I don't know yeah it's, well it's such a massive conversation it, it is and and it is it's, it is that great need for funding so I have connected in with a, a fabulous organization called the Hudson Institute um one of the researchers there is looking to do stem cell therapy into um uh prolapse Pel repair oh wow and um and you know, we are talking about a possible collaboration in the future. So there's 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 conversations that are happening. The other thing is what was so exciting is a, an incredible not for profit called Lip, the Liptember Foundation. They released a survey about two weeks ago. And in that survey, because um, they've been focused on mental health, but in that survey, they decided to broaden the scope of what of the questions they asked. So it's women's mental health. And they asked about sort of more broader women's health problems. One in two women that have experienced birth injuries are living with severe mental health conditions. One in two. One in two. And that, so that's the first organization that I have seen that has talked about birth injuries publicly and supported what we've been saying for years yeah. in our birth injuries report 89% of the 801 respondents said that their birth injuries had impacted their mental health wow like we have to talk about this and 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 there has to be more research yeah so let's let's circle around a little bit amy we've talked to, about your experience um, with birth trauma which you premise at the front was a physical example of birth trauma can you share with us some other so we've talked about an avulsion we, we've touched on prolapse what other kind of birth physical birth trauma can a woman have experienced and and or recognize that she's experienced if she does, doesn't recognize it already yeah um so 
uh, I could probably refer again to the birth injuries report that um, so we asked people what what their injuries were. Um, so the, the first most prominent one um, was third and fourth degree tears. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when we go into childbirth, generally, we know that we don't want to tear. Um, we don't know what that actually means for quality of life. Now, a third and fourth degree tear will have um, a catastrophic impact on your quality of life unless picked up. And actually, I think the outcomes can be really good if it's picked up at the time of birth. Problem is, it's not always correctly diagnosed. And and we see that a lot. A third and fourth degree tear is of the anal sphincter. Mm -hmm. And that can mean that you will end up with fecal incontinence. Um, You're not able to hold hold a fart, which is really awful if if you're, you know, in the shops. uh, and so then after that, it was prolapse. And uh, then after that, it was nerve injury. So, you know, we've got pondal neuralgia. Again, it's a condition that doesn't get much um, acknowledgement and has such an impact on people's quality of life. The other thing that came through a lot was um, uh, infected stitches. Mm-hmm. And that could have been infected stitches of, um, you know, perineum tears or um, cesarean wounds. Um, then you've got sort of varying uh, other injuries, which could be, again, pelvic floor muscle damage, um, you know, lesser degree tears. So we've got first and second degree tears, which are, are much more common. I think it's about 80 percent of women will tear to some degree um, in the first birth um, if it's a vaginal birth. So those are those are kind of the main ones. And I just heard you say um birth trauma associated with c-section i think sometimes we think that birth trauma is more vaginal delivery focus can you oh well i have to disagree (laughs) i mean actually i think i think you know yeah yeah i think there's a misconception out there right that um abta focuses on physical trauma but i will tell you why a my experience um, and so obviously I talk quite vocally about it and my cat's come to say hello. Um, I talk a lot about my experience. And obviously, if that gets into the media, then people find us that way. Now, birth related trauma, we say birth related is a trauma, whether um, physical or psychological, that occurs at any time in the journey to parenthood. So that could be um, reproductive trauma. We obviously support lots of people that um, have trouble conceiving, go through multiple rounds of IVF anybody listening that's been through that journey my understanding is there's very little psychological support for that process and yet it's a it's a you know it's a a heart-wrenching process um you know we've got pregnancy trauma so that's people that have um uh, conditions throughout pregnancy um such as hyperemesis which is severe morning sickness that can completely impact quality of life from gestational diabetes can't say that very well um to sort of lesser known conditions like preeclampsia or um uh placenta accreta or previa um or any kind of just unknown condition that completely blindsides you and then you've got the labor and birth experience and what occurs during that time and it's not always um, about the birth experience, which could be interventions such as emergency caesareans or instrumental deliveries, but it's often how we're treated in that moment that can be a big, big catalyst to trauma. Um, you know, feeling like you're a spectator in your birth experiencing experience, feeling like you're coerced into making decisions or or not feeling in fully informed about um, uh, interventions that you are encouraged to have. Um, through to really poor communication from care providers. Um, And then you've got postnatal experience as well, uh, which could be birth injuries. It could be having um, the baby to go into special care. That's a huge trigger because when you have a a baby, nothing really prepares you for leaving without the baby. And of course, that is vitally important to acknowledge those that have experienced loss. And then as well as that, um, birth injuries, often what we see, Jen, in our cohort is what I'm now referring to as a cascade of vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. And so we see people that have maybe gone through um, challenges conceiving, then they have a difficult um, pregnancy, but they can't complain because they wanted this baby so much. And then they might have a traumatic birth experience. And then when they get to the other side, well, at least you have a healthy baby. 
And so even in 2023, that healthy baby narrative is still the prevailing narrative and, and probably is still a barrier to people seeking support. It's, I think that's a messed up narrative on a daily basis, isn't it? It's like mum's mm-hmm. life is <laughs> life can be so tricky as a new mum, regardless of your experience, yet to be pretty much gaslighted into, well, you've got a healthy baby, so you shouldn't you shouldn't complain. Yeah, that was a, a big theme that came through in our birth injuries report. In fact, um, what we called medical gaslighting, mm. it sort of came through again and again. And this isn't just around the birth experience. This is something that happens to women all through their um, life cycles. You know, we're just told, oh, you're pregnant. Just think happy thoughts and you'll get the outcome that you want. Oh, you, you're experiencing incontinence. Oh, that just happens. You know, it's normal to not be able to jump on a trampoline or cough without keeping your legs together. Um, and, you know, you know, so but but there were very significant experiences where people are very you know, they're suffering ongoing symptoms of ongoing pain or um, painful sex or, you know, whatever the symptoms were. But it just came through that people, when they're brave enough to seek support, they still are told it's normal and normalizing mm-hmm. these these kind of um, experiences. It's not helpful. Mm. Talk to me a little bit about the psychological birth trauma. So I know that you've just listed off a lot of, you know, what's the key difference to someone that's experienced and and maybe you have listed it off already talking about, you know, coercion and and not having an active role in your birth process, but how would you explain that more to us? Yeah. So I I guess the impacts of psychological trauma is I think it, any trauma, right. Mm. If it, if, how you're feeling about your birth or pregnancy or journey to parenthood, if if you're not feeling okay with that, then that's valid. Like some people can find the word trauma too big. Um, and again, it's like, well, I, you know, I didn't end up with a life altering injury or my baby's okay. So, you know, I shouldn't be traumatized. And I think it's so important to acknowledge that because birth is a possible traumatic event is really confronting because it, we associate trauma, say with war veterans or, paramedics um and birth is typically perceived as as a happy event in our life and you know looking after babies is all peaches until you've had a baby um um, and so it's so in terms of if we talk about the psychological impacts rather than the causation first yeah so so um you know there's sort of four key things that um indicate trauma and so to meet a full diagnostic criteria for say um post post-traumatic stress disorder you would have to meet all four of these criteria. but often people may have just one or two of these symptoms and still would benefit from a specific trauma treatment as opposed to more traditional therapies that you would use for say depression or anxiety now those um four key things are um now I've got to remember, mm-hmm. um, you've got, um, so avoidance, um, avoiding talking about the, the birth experience is a big one for, for parent, uh, dads or non-birthing parents, um, you know, avoiding the hospital, avoiding any reminders of the birth. For me, when I saw those mummies at the park, like doing the group exercises, I'd get really triggered because I'm like, I'm never going to do that. Um, and then you've got um, big mood changes. So that can be symptoms of depression and anxiety. They can coexist with PTSD or symptoms of PTSD and, and, and more commonly recognized, as I said before. Um, but other mood changes could be like intense anger. And that could be anger directed at the partner because they didn't go through what you went through. Um, and anger towards the health professionals as well or guilt or shame. Those are big ones for our cohort as well. Um, the other aspects that we see are things uh, such as, um, you know, um, developing unho- unhealthy coping mechanisms, because traditionally we don't seek support for trauma until much further down the track. And so we just try and manage it ourselves until we're not like, able mm. to manage it and we do have to get support. The other big thing is nightmares, flashbacks reliving the birth like in a blow by blow it will just come to you often we we have we have women that talk about being going to the dentist for the first time and then they have a flashback of being in the birth suite so that's that's a really big one as well it's huge isn't it it's absolutely huge the impact is huge yeah and and it's 
why this year for Awareness Week, the theme is specifically around um, PTSD in the postpartum period, because we need to know about these signs and symptoms because people will benefit from specific trauma therapies. And also the sooner we get support, the sooner we can start managing it and sooner we can start to hopefully bond with our babies and um, it doesn't ripple out into our lives. But the other big thing about psychological trauma, Jen, and again, it's some of it's my hypothesis and some of it is out there, it's evidenced, but what we bring into birth suite is really important. And there is a huge gap. As consumers, we don't know why our pre-existing trauma um, can infect, affect our birth. And then clinicians don't necessarily know to ask the questions. We don't necessarily, there isn't an environment to ask these questions, but it's really important to acknowledge. And again, this is a, this is a really sensitive topic, but many of us experience trauma. In fact, Headspace will say that 70% of Australians have ex- experienced at least a traumatic event in their life. Statistically, one in three women have experienced violence, sexual violence, typically at the hands of a, a partner. Uh, there was a paper published I saw yesterday that said there has been an increase in the number of um, domestic violence instances in pregnant women. We are walking into the birth suite with our baggage and that baggage and what we have experienced prior will come out in the birth experience. But nobody knows that. Like I remember my own personal experience. My midwife said to me, have you got any pre-existing mental health conditions? I did. I came with baggage. Right. But I was the (laughs) I was the best that I'd ever been. I was so happy. I was pregnant. You know, like I'm like, why are you asking me this? I didn't know why. Um, Obviously, now I know. to make sure that I'm signposted to support services for potential postnatal depression, right? And understand that. But the same applies for pre-existing trauma. So you will have people that have gone through horrific events and they are maybe having ongoing psychological support. Um, But you'll also have people that have maybe had a one-off horrific event and they've buried it because that's what Mm -hmm. we do with our trauma, particularly sexual trauma. For example, lots of people don't... um, uh, you, you know the politics around that we're not believed women are not believed and so you think you've buried it and then you go into the birth experience and maybe you are given an epidural and you're immobilized and then what do you think happens and this was this was drawn to my attention because this is like I said a, le- a steep learning curve for me and it's only through storytelling that has given me the knowledge that I have. And a brave mum last year, Hannah, shared her story for Awareness Week, and she talked about that exact experience. She was numbed from the waist down, no sensation. She had a flashback of abuse when from her swim coach. She is at such high risk of experiencing PTSD of the birth process because she has been she's lost lost that control during the birth process. But we don't talk about this enough. The other really scary statistic and 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 and, and I do think it's important to know that the child mistreatment study came out. Um, it was published a couple of weeks ago and um, or a month ago. And this is this is a horrific stat. 28.5% of Australian adult, adults aged between 16 and 60 have experienced sexual abuse and uh, child sexual abuse. So we need a, a maternity system that um, provides safety and that safety is not being given. And ask the questions. So be like, I'm trying to find the words, but my brain goes to, you know, women, should I have an epidural? Like that's a question, right? A lot of women will ask for a pain relief option and there should be a whole heap of questions now listening to what you've just said around, well, if you've had this happen in your life, this is the potential experience of being completely out of control if you Mm. have an epidural. Mm. Yeah, Mm. I know those questions. Well, I mean, you know they're not being asked and I can imagine that they're not being asked because... I think they're not being asked. No, but that, but that isn't, but it's also acknowledging the challenge. So um, we don't have a a necessarily a psychologically safe environment for people to disclose that information, Mm. but also we're asking clinicians to ask that information. And then where do they send these people for support if they need it? So that's already a barrier. So we've got lots of these barriers. And like I said at the beginning, we don't necessarily have the answers as an organization, but what we're trying to do is say, just remember the people that you're working with 
may have a trauma history. So, so what can you do in the moment to prevent trauma from occurring? And that's what's really powerful. Actually, there's some incredible evidence that came out of the US that showed that PTSD um, or trauma can be prevented from occurring in the moment where perhaps the trauma is occurring by the application of compassionate care. Wow. And that is really, really powerful. But I preface that with understanding that we've also got a workforce that's undervalued, um, doing incredibly long hours, you know, off the tail end of three years of a pandemic. How can they apply compassionate care when nobody's caring for them as well? Yeah, and I think that's really important because I have an awareness that I quite often go, well, the medical industry is not doing this. And it's like the individuals in the medical industry are doing the fucking best they can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with every with every industry, <laughs> yeah. there's going there's gonna to be bad eggs in every profession, in, in whatever world we work in. Right. There's obviously going to be bad eggs. But what we see in the stories that we hear is sometimes like I, I just I always talk about this particular story of a mum saying that she was in the second stage of labour. And she actually said to the midwife, like, why are you being so mean to me? And that midwife said, um, well, because we want to go home and you're not pushing but probably not like that either. And um, to me, that's not somebody that is uh, okay. You know, maybe that's somebody that's just coming on the end of a 24 hour shift. Um, what do we do to support our, yeah. our carers? And Absolutely. so that's, that's uh, you know, it, it, it's a, a much bigger problem. It's than, huge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's start to bring it around to, um, or to talk to exercise professionals that, that might mm. be listening. Mm. What, so, you know, my instinct is a very thorough pre-exercise screening is going to help to pick up potential birth trauma. We're not, um, we're not, it's not within our scope of practice to diagnose anything, but we can certainly see red flags and refer on. What would you say, Amy, at that first, first consultation with a new mum that has had a baby whether it was a recent birth or you know in the past mm. what are the key questions that we should be asking the mums that we're working with in order to start the conversation and then make sure that they get directed to support without diagnosing because it is very much our not space to do that not us yeah um I think it's really important this question because I do think that um as um, personal trainers and 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 as how many women you work with you might be the first person that could could acknowledge that trauma um again that came through in our birth injuries report not personal trainers per se but talking about pelvic health physios were often the first health professional that has acknowledged someone's trauma um so i think that if you are working with a mother um, in that sort of early postnatal-ish period, even really up to, you know, five years, because, mm -hmm. you know, postnatal is forever, is ask them about their birth experience. It probably is helpful as if you're going to be working with them to know whether they've had an instrumental delivery, for example. You, or you don't need to have the answers. You don't need to diagnose exactly like you say. It's outside of your scope. But ask them and provide them a space to tell you because often people that have gone through a, a difficult experience they just they just want to share it and they feel they can't and and I think that would just be a great a great point in which to start also be aware of those red flags of potential trauma as well um, because people don't always know that they can get support for what they're experiencing so so what do we know are the definite red flags that they might indicate in that conversation well we know emergency cesareans instrumental deliveries um those sort of com uh, postpartum hemorrhage so those sort of common occurrences you know i only learned again recently that if someone's experienced a postpartum hemorrhage um a, a, of significant bleed um then they are then at risk at subsequent um, autoimmune diseases, but no one actually says to mums, um, you know, you should maybe go in and check, um, check your bloods, maybe get an iron infusion. So to be across um, what uh, those, birth, what, what they indicate to you and what they'll tell you and then know what that can mean. So if she's ongoing battling with tiredness, well, what does that mean? Do you want to share a little bit about, about your experience and you know, it's just opening up the conversation really 
Yeah, I absolutely agree. And at getting exercise professionals that are choosing to work with mums in this space to have a thorough pre-exercise screening, which involves what kind of birth experience did you have? You know, was it a vaginal delivery? Was it a C-section? How long were you pushing for? Did you have any tearing? You know, did you have an episiotomy? How's it healing? Like all of those questions. And I love what you said about you don't have to have the answers because I really see our role as we gather information, we have that awareness of what may have happened to the woman in front of us. <laughs> Hello, pussy cat. <laughs> That's so cool. We have this information and then we we don't necessarily even tell her anything because we're not here to tell her anything at all, but to say, have you ever considered seeing a pelvic health physio? Mm. Or how are you feeling about your birth experience? And then mm. have you ever considered seeing a mental health professional to talk about your, or has anyone ever reflected your birth experience with you? Yeah. Yeah. And I think also, I think regardless of where they are in their motherhood journey, I think my, you know, the, I've said this for years and I'm pretty sure you've said the same thing, um, which is that who's in your referral network mm. and um, ideally any um, personal trainer would have a pelvic health physio that you would work with and cross refer to. Um, so before they start training with you, please go and see a pelvic health physio and just see where you are. Like what's the functionality of your pelvic floor? Yes. If you've experienced any tears, if you've got any ongoing symptoms from that. So that can, it's also obviously, um, uh, ensures that you're, you've got that best practice, but it's, but it is also great. You expand your network, you know, maybe, you know, some great clinicians in the area that, that provide um, psychological support, like mental health clinicians, like who's in your network mm -hmm. and, and, and make sure that they're, you know, you get good feedback about the individuals you refer to. Word of mouth is everything. Again, you know, it, it, there's, cause birth trauma is now, people are talking about it a lot more. Um, I do think that there's lots of people that say they're experts and uh, I always think word of mouth is everything. So, you know, make sure you get feedback if you're referring. Absolutely. Well, if you're referring, you need to go meet them, in my opinion. Like go yeah, experience. But even in meeting them, you might not necessarily get a good sense. So, Well, experience yeah. an appointment with them. Like inside yeah. of Safe Return to Exercise, we say go meet that person, ask them if you can have an appointment as if you were a postpartum mum. Oh, wow. Choose have internal or not, then fine. Love that. But having that. And sometimes you meet pelvic health physio, you, the personalities just don't match. And that's okay yeah, yeah, too. Yeah. Like you don't yeah. have to work with that person if they're not the right person. Yeah. The other, Always second opinion. It's okay to get a second opinion. Don't. Yeah, absolutely. The yeah. other thing that I heard you say was about getting information back from the physio. So it's easy for us as trainers to go, Hey, go see this person. It's the next level. And the, the level of care that we want trainers that are specializing in working with mums to have is that two way conversation. So it's not just send them and hope that the mum can then deal with the outcome because probably she can't even remember what's being said to her, but then to get the information from the physio back to you so that you can create a safe and effective training program for that individual. Absolutely. So important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Can yeah. agree more. Let's talk because it is is Birth Trauma Awareness Week as this yeah. episode is dropping. It's yeah. literally just started. Um, tell us. We know that Birth Trauma Week is your Birth Trauma Awareness Week is your major fundraising um, activity for the year. And mm. this year, you're doing the Big Step Challenge. Tell us about that and throw some statistics in there, Amy, because I know that that's why you're doing the Big Step Challenge. Yeah, um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I want to, yeah. Yeah, so um, the big step challenge is we're basically encouraging people to step forward for safer births and better healing. And that's psychologically safer. And so that's, again, very individual. Um, but it is really about providing choice and options and conversations. And uh, what does safer births look like for one person? It could look completely different for another. Um, and then better healing. Well, at the moment, as it stands, there is no national guideline for postnatal support mm -hmm. that is changing. Um, and um, there are some guidelines being developed by um, uh the Royal College of Obstetricians, the Australian College of Midwives, Monash University and um, 
uh, forget the last organization, Cochrane, um, and they are seeking consumer representatives and applicate, they're taking applications for that until the 11th of August. So I'm just going to put that in there because it's so important. There's no standard postnatal care in Australia. It's just like mind blowing, like, see ya, off you go, go raise this new life. Um, but back to the big step challenge. So we're asking people to step forward and uh, for the 110,000 families that are impacted by birth related trauma every year. Now we're saying 110 steps and that could be you do 100 and your friend does 100,000. I can't do the maths, but you, catch, <laughs> you, you get the drift. But also we're acknowledging the fact that there are some people that are physically unable to do the steps. So we're saying do, do something that you love whatever that looks like, however big the step is, just step forward and help us better support the community. And, and, and how we do that is obviously by dedicated peer support services through a growing um, body of advocacy work and increasing awareness for both community and health professionals around the impacts um, of birth-related trauma. So Birth Trauma Awareness Week is, what are the dates? And I know that if people are listening yeah. in real time, it's now. Yeah, um, yeah. What are the dates from the 16th to yes. the 16th to the 23rd? And even if you're listening, you know, because you're listening to it after the week has started, it's yeah. not too late. And if you just think, I really want to support this organization, you could jump online and support somebody else's challenge and help booster their, um, you know, their goal. And it's been incredible to see so many mum safe trainers get on board this year. This year, we've got the biggest number of um, participants than we've ever had oh, any amazing. other year. So just get behind and support it. And, and just no, you know, even if you donate, no matter how small, yeah, it makes a huge difference for us and really does mean the world. Absolutely. There's um, so people know exactly what to do to jump in. So if you want to do the maths, it's 15,714 steps per day um, to hit that 110,000. And I have a commitment that I'm going to walk them because running them for me is easy. And I know that that's just such a privileged thing to say for so many people, um, especially when we're talking about birth trauma and pelvic floor and things like that. But fuck me, I get frustrated with walking. I love I'm like, walking. oh my God, I'm oh, like, I can run this day. in yeah. like an hour and I'm done. Whereas walking, I can't even get 5Ks under an hour at the moment. And it's <laughs> driving me nuts. So my commitment this week is to that, walk those goddamn steps. Um, any running on top will be extra and not counted in the step count. Um, if you want to laugh along the way, I'll, do, I'll, I'll show you what I'm doing on Instagram. And I did set up a, um, a mum safe specific uh page so if somebody wants to join a team jump on my team walk with me or you're allowed to run um if you have got a team of clients that you want to set up now and rally the troops you could all go for a walk on saturday morning so you've got a whole week to kind of set that up set up your own individual team and like amy said if you not just want to donate if you want to donate it's really important that we remove this mentality of five dollars isn't enough and i'm not saying you know if you've got more than five dollars to donate please do donate a larger mum number but never underestimate the compounding capacity of many people doing small things oh so yes yeah absolutely yeah what else amy to wrap us up what else do you want us to know need us to know where can well, people go? So yeah. if, if someone's listening to this and maybe they're a trainer and they've got clients and or maybe they're a mum themselves and, and they're going, oh, maybe this was me, or maybe they know that they've experienced birth trauma but they haven't either haven't reached out to support or haven't reached out recently, where can they go? What can they do? Tell us mm -hmm. about the peer support. Yeah, I just want to say um, it's really – really important to say this now it is never too late mm -hmm. to start healing and you know one of my favorite books this again talking specifically around incontinence but highly recommend it if you haven't read it uh it's called pmsl or literally how i pissed myself laughing and she talks about suffering from severe incontinence for seven years <sighs> before she actually su sought support so it's never too late Right. But if you want to start getting support, we have so many, so much information on our website. We've got lots of resources available there. And then we provide dedicated um, peer support services across the nation. And that is um, we've got a multiple touch points. So we do it through peer to peer social, which is for women and birthing people that identify as having 
birth-related trauma, um, and that is a private Facebook support group with about 4,300 members. Really safe space, such a diverse range of experiences, but it is really ultimately just somewhere you can either share your story, and often that's all that's needed. I just need to someone to hear me and not tell me, at least. Um, the other thing that we do is one-on-one -on -one support via written chat on the website, so connecting with our mentors or our peer support workers, and um, and they have a lived experience, but they are walking, talking proof that things can get better, and they can, and you can heal, uh, whatever healing looks like to you. And then we also do small in-person support programs, which we have actually temporarily had to pause because we haven't had ongoing funding at this stage. Um, but those are basically I call them mother's group with information because for me, I thought I'd make my lifelong friends at my mother's group, but it turns out I needed something shoved up my bum every Thursday, which is when my mother's group met. Um, so by the time I managed to go to the mother's group, I just felt utterly broken and like I was the only one struggling. Um, and um, so just FYI, the things shoved up my bum was to make sure my anal sphincter. Was... Yeah, yeah, I should probably yeah. put that in there. Um, like, that... Yeah, yeah. Um, but um but yes, yeah, so it's really an opportunity for people to connect with um, with women in the community and and make make friends that way. But with people that get it, because mm -hmm. that's what you want. You just want to speak to someone that gets it. Yeah. yeah. So and that's what we do. Yeah. Fantastic. And people can find you on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, and on all the social spaces as well. So yes, absolutely. Fantastic. Jen, so good to chat. Thank you, Amy. This has been We've got in lots of directions and I hope that what we have covered has helped trainers and mums alike to understand more and also know what they can do more to support in each other, the mums mm. they work with, and mm. also um, the work that you're doing as well. Amy. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. See you soon. Cheers, Jen. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for being with us for this episode today. As always, it's been an absolute pleasure to have one more conversation that takes us closer to our goal of safe and effective exercise for all women at every stage of motherhood. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please make sure you hit follow wherever you listen to your podcast and rate and review so more people can join us next time. For further information about anything we've talked about in this episode, head to jendugard.com forward slash podcast. And if you want to connect with me in person, I would love to hear from you over at my Instagram at jendugard. Thank you for your voice in this space. Have a beautiful day.